Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. You are a theologian. In fact, everyone's a theologian. Everyone constructs their own views of God, what he's like, what he's not like, what people believe, don't believe. Even those who say they don't believe anything at all, they are a theologian. It's true. People have some semblance of view on how life should work, what God is like, what he's not like, and they have a variety of views, accurate, inaccurate. Now, as a parent, what we want to do as a parent, soon-to-be parents, grandparents, we want to impart the truth of God's word to our children or grandchildren and shape their minds and hearts in line with God's word. You know, there, there may be parents that come along and say, you know, I don't want to influence my kid in any way, shape, or form. I want them to develop their own way of belief and thinking. Well, that in and of itself is a theology. And if you truly embrace Christ and love Christ, you're going to want your kids and your grandkids to be shaped by the Word of God from being very little on until they grow up because what you want to say to them is you want to teach them from the word of God that God is reliable, God is trustworthy, and they can rely upon them. Now, in order to do this and teach kids and train kids in this way, whether you're a Sunday school teacher, grandparent, parent, is we have to teach kids from the whole counsel of God's word because if we're not careful, we're just going to pick nice little sounding verses out of context to keep kids happy and smiley, and we ignore other portions. That's why, as a church, we try to expose you to the whole counsel of God's word, which means that we will preach texts that are not popular with the world, and get this, we will preach texts that are not popular with you. Because we're trying to be exposed to the whole counsel of God's word and shaped by the whole counsel of God's word so that when we go through stuff, we say, I know that God has been faithful in the past. He'll be faithful again. He's been reliable in the past. He'll be reliable again. And that's the way we want to live. We want to be those who trust in the Lord with our whole hearts. And so this morning, I, I'm just going to throw this at you as best as I can so that you can land on the fact that God is reliable to those who trust him in faith. God is reliable to those who turn to him in faith. And let's see that as we go to Romans 9. Now, as we're in Romans 9, there is Romans 8 that comes before it, and Romans 8 has made a lot of great promises. I'm going to shoot some of those at you real quick. Listen to these promises from Romans 8. Number one, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Number two, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, giving new life and enabling new obedience. Three, 
permanent adoption as the children of God for future resurrection bodies and glory. Five, God working all things for our good. Six, nothing can ever separate us from his love. Now, this is some great promises. We've been spending time on that for weeks. It was awesome. We were all high-fiving each other saying these are just great truth, great sermons from the word of God. But here's some tension for you. How do you know that God will keep these promises that we've read in Romans 8? Let me add a little bit more tension to you. Those promises that we studied in Romans 8 were primarily in the Old Testament aimed at the Jews. And yet the main people who are enjoying these promises today are Gentiles, us. The church made up in Jews and Gentiles, but mainly the Gentiles are enjoying these blessings. If you looked around in Paul's day, not many Jews believed in Jesus. If you look around our day, not many Jews believe in Jesus. Yes, some do, absolutely, but, but not many. And so the question is, is that, okay, God made these promises to Jews and the Gentiles are experiencing those blessings. Does God, word, did he, did he fail? It's like I promise a bike to one of my sons at Christmas. Christmas comes, and I give the bike to another one of my sons. Yeah? The promises are going to Israel, and yet the Gentiles are experiencing the blessing. Did God's promises to Israel fail? And you say, so what? Who cares? Well, you see, if God's promises to Israel failed, how can you know that God's promises to you will be kept? It matters. And the argument that we are going to make over the next several weeks is that God's promises to Israel did not fail. And God has been trustworthy and reliable. And this is where we're going to go over the next three chapters in chapter 9, 10, and 11. Part 1, chapter 9, God does not elect everyone within Israel for salvation, but only a remnant. Part 2, chapter 10, Israel responsible for failing to believe in the Messiah. Messiah, in part 3, chapter 11, God is still saving some Jews today, and there will be a greater in gathering in the future. Now, I know these three chapters are going to be so confusing, and you're going to have a lot, of, you know, a lot of questions. Just save those and ask your small group leader, and they will answer all the questions you have. That's what we train you for. What we're getting at is we want to be those who trust in the reliable promises of God so that when we go through stuff that is hard, we will trust in him and rest. We train our kids to have that relying on Jesus when they're young so that as they grow older, they will continue to rely on him. This past Thursday, my oldest daughter, uh, Karis, as she got engaged, and I'm really excited about that, and I'm I'm. By God's grace, um, she follows Jesus. Her soon-to-be husband follows Jesus. And as they've been trained in the Lord uh, as young kids and teenagers, and they're following Jesus, and they're going to get married in their young 20s, the, tr- the, the, the hope and the prayer is that as they live their life through their 20s and 30s and 40s and on and on, that they will trust in the reliability and faithfulness of God even when life gets hard. And that's what I want for all of us. And that's where we're going this morning. So Romans 9 matters. So here we go. Romans 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow. 
an unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Perhaps some of the Jewish Christians in Rome are, are wondering if Paul is teaching that God has now moved on from the Jews and is just concerned about saving the Gentiles. And maybe some Gentiles would look around the church and say, well, it's mainly Gentiles here, so maybe God just cares about Gentiles and not Jews. And Paul is acknowledging the current situation that not many Jews are believing in Jesus. The response rate among the Jews is not as great as the response rate is among the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, you know what? I love my people. I love the Jews so much that I'd be willing to do a swap with them. I would actually swap my salvation, give it to them, and I would be accursed. Go ahead and send me to hell so that my people can be saved. And that's what he says. Look at verse 3. Look at it again. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He has so much love for his people. He said, just cut me off and save them. It, it kind of echoes someone in the Old Testament. Do you remember, remember who? Do you remember Moses? When God wanted to punish Israel, but Moses tried to intervene in Exodus 32, 32 and 33, it says, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So Moses and Paul are like, we'll just give it up. We'll give it up, Lord. Just save the people. God's like, nope, that's not the way it works. But do you see the heart of Paul? Do you see the heart of Moses has such a compassion for those who are suffering and apart from Christ that he would do anything? I, I, I want that heart for people who don't know Jesus. I was, I was watching a pastor this week, and he sent me to this, go look at this very disturbing video. Don't look it up, but there's this video happened a few years ago of a little two-year-old girl is out in the street in the video. Oh my goodness, the van just smashes her, runs her over. She's on the side of the road. Now get this, very busy street where people are walking back and forth. She's on the side of the road, hit, injured. Ten minutes, no one does anything. You see people looking at her on video, passing by, passing by passing by over and over again. 18 people passed by this little girl until finally this, this homeless-looking lady stops and has compassion on her. And I think, well, that, that's the image right there. We are surrounded by lost people. You play golf with lost people. Your neighbors are lost people. Are, are you just passing them by? Passing them by, almost like, oh, excuse me, I'm going to step over you. Or does your heart truly, like Paul's heart, go out to those who don't know Jesus? You, you, I mean, and this is no offense at all. But just don't, don't get mad at me. Don't throw things at me. But we're at this age where you can just drop like that. It's true, right? Yeah. So you need to share Jesus with those who don't know Christ. May your heart... Go out to those who don't know Jesus. You can share the gospel. That, that's where Paul's heart is at. And so, you, but you still, Paul's got to explain, yeah, that's where my heart's at. But there's not many Jews that believe. 
did God's promise fail? Paul continues. Verse 4. He talks about the Jews. He goes, who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises? Who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is overall God blessed forever? Amen. So he's going to hit these six promises to Israel. Adoption, glory, covenants, law, worship, promises. He said, the Jews, boom, they are so blessed. Number one, God adopted them from all the nations of the earth to be his child. God said, I pick you. Boom, elected them. Number two, God manifested the glory of his presence at the tabernacle and temple. Number three, he made covenants with them to bless and save them. Number four, he gave them the law to teach and guide them. Number five, They were enabled to worship God and God alone. Number six, his promises went out for their salvation. God is just blessing them. He gave them adoption, glory. He gave them the covenants, the law, worship, the promises. And as bonus, he also gave them the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And to top it off, the Messiah came from their race. The Messiah is Jesus Christ, who not only came as a Jew in the flesh, but he's also God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Paul is worshiping the Lord for what he's done among the Jews, and yet his heart is in unceasing anguish. Because the Jews at that time, by and large, were rejecting the gospel. What has gone wrong? Has God failed. Has he failed? Here's his big thesis that's going to carry on for the next three chapters in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. You can underline that. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. God's promise of salvation in the gospel has not failed. And yet you look out in our time, you look out in Paul's time, you don't see many Jews believing. You may say, it looks like something's not right. Maybe the word of God has failed and the word of God has not failed. It can be, it begins the same in your life. You can look at your life, things are not going right. You think, okay, does God love me? Has he left me? Is he still there for me? Has he failed? One of my favorite teachers, authors in the past was a guy named Brian Chapel. He wrote one of the most famous preaching books called Christ-Centered Preaching. When I was at Dallas Seminary, Brian Chapel came in and he gave some lecture series on Christ-Centered Preaching. He later went on to become a seminary president, and now he's also still in his late 60s, preaching the word of God. And I've always looked at Brian Chapel and go, man, what, what a blessed life. Man, he's really got it going on. He's an author. He's a president. He's a pastor. He's well known. He, God has blessed him so much. Well, I just so happened to run across uh, Brian Chapel preaching uh, about, about 10 days ago uh, in a sermon he was given. And he said that um, he has four kids. Three of them are married. And each of his married kids struggle with disease and infertility. He's in his late 60s, Brian Chapel, and people come up to him and say, so tell me about your grandchildren. And he says, I don't have any. 
And he says that causes a, a great pain inside of him, and he cannot imagine the pain that his children are experiencing. Has God failed him? Has God failed his kids? Does God even care? Does he even love them? The circumstances may scream, where is God? He's failed. That's what we're getting at here, is that God has not failed, no matter what the circumstances look like. God has not bailed, no matter what you're seeing or experiencing. And that's the argument that Paul is making with regard to the salvation of the Jews. He has not failed. And he starts with his argument. Part one of his argument says this. God does not elect everyone within Israel for salvation, but only a remnant. Back to verse 6. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descendant from Israel. Well, this is interesting. He's making a distinction here between the nation of Israel and true Israel, those who are chosen by God. God did not choose every Israelite for salvation, but always had this remnant of the elect who belonged to the true Israel. So there's this distinction between the nation of Israel and true Israel, those who are chosen by God. And now he illustrates this point. Look at verse 7. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. All right, buckle up. Some serious study. You ready for this? Physical descent does not make one a child of God. Here's proof. God promised Abraham a son through whom he would make his covenant, people, and eventually the Messiah. So Abraham, you know, being the smart guy he is, took matters into his own hands because he and Sarah were obviously having issues, infertility. And so he said, all right, God, you made a promise. Uh, there's this Egyptian Hagar, maidservant. Okay, I'm going to have a son with her and had a son, and his name was Ishmael. But Ishmael was not the fulfillment of God's promise. The promise was going to come through God giving a son to Abraham and Sarah, and his name was Isaac. And it says specifically, through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Which means that through Isaac, the promise will be fulfilled, and the descendants of the covenant will come through his line, proving the point once again, verse 8, that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as Descendants, just as God chose Isaac, the child of the promise, over Ishmael, the child of the flesh, he still chooses the children of the promise. Those are Jews who are saved through believing in Jesus, through those who are the children of the flesh, those who are just physical descendants of Israel. What he's getting at here is that it's about grace and not about race. It's about promise, not biology. It's about God's electing grace, not physical descent. So here's the way we would say it. We would say, just because a kid is born into a Christian family doesn't make him a Christian. Right? 
as, as Keith Green has famously said, just because you go into McDonald's does not make you a hamburger. Right? So someone is born into a Christian family, doesn't mean say, okay, you're now, I'm a, I'm a believer, so that means my son is a believer and my daughter's a believer just because I'm a believer. Now, the, the important factor, now, if we're arguing from this context of Romans 9, we would argue what matters is God's election. Don't throw things at me. We're going to argue in, in Romans 10 what matters is faith. So now you're confused. You're going, well, is it election or is it faith? Well, well, see, here's the deal. There's this mystery where the two go together, and you want me to explain it to you, and I can't. But there's this combo of God's election. And so I know as I preach chapter 9, a certain number of you from a certain number of theology are going to be cheering and pumped up. But when I preach Romans 10, a certain number of you from certain theology are also going to be cheering, right? It depends. I know your background, right? But what I'm trying to argue is that Romans 9 matters, Romans 10 matter, and they go together. How do they go together? I have no idea. It, it is a mystery, this is what Douglas Moo says, famous uh, author. He says, divine sovereignty and human responsibility and salvation stand in some tension with one another, but they are not logically contradictory. The Bible teaches both. How they fit together, I have no idea. But what we want to teach our truths to our kids is that natural birth does not guarantee salvation. And we would say to them and appeal to them, you must be born again. It's a sovereign choice. It's a work of God. You exercise faith as well. It all goes together. And if you want to know and learn more about this, you've got to come back next week. Because next week we're going to be hitting a lot more of this. Come back next week and bring all your friends. All right, here we go. Look at verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. So the child of the promise, Isaac, is brought back into play again. And we're told that it's through Isaac that God's covenant people would be established. But not every descendant of Isaac would be the true Israel. Because look what it says here. His wife, Rebekah, gave birth to twins before they were born and had done anything good or bad. God chose Jacob over Esau. More specifically, the older will serve the younger. Now, in this culture, the older son received the blessings, more inheritance, and would take the place of the father as the leader of the family. God did a little switcheroo, a little reverse the custom, and he did not choose the older Esau, but the younger Jacob. Now, to take it even further and to prove his point even more, Paul reaches back into the Old Testament and brings uh, up Malachi. Malachi talks about the descendants of Jacob, which would be the Jews, and Esau, the Edomites, were feuding. And God says a word of reassurance in Malachi 1, 2 through 3. He says, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. 
Now, some may argue that Romans chapter 9 is referring to not the election of individuals, but the election of nations. And to that, I would say Paul is taking a text that is referring to nations in the book of Malachi, and he's applying it to individuals. That God loved and chose Jacob and rejected and did not choose Esau. And, and the question is really is why, right? Why did he choose one and not the other? I mean, let's say, I can understand why he would hate Esau. I get it. I really don't get why he loved Jacob. You ever read Jacob? Yeah, what did he, he, he pick him for? What's so great about Jacob? Why? Why did God do it that way? Well, it says in verse 11, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. So God did not look into the future and go, oh, Jacob's going to be such a good boy. He's going to be great. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. It says, it didn't say that at all. It says God chose Jacob because in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Jacob's salvation was not based upon his work. He was a mess. It was not based upon the God looked down and go, oh, I'll see. Oh, Jacob looks like he's going to believe in me one day. I'll pick him. No, no, doesn't say that either. Jacob's salvation was based on God's sovereign choice, period. Period. And we're really going to get into this next week because you may say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why did God choose one and not the other? And to that I say, why does he choose anybody? We want fairness? Believe me, do not come to God and plead, please, God, be fair. You don't want fair. You want mercy. Don't come to God and say, God, just give me what I deserve. Don't do that. You don't want what you deserve. You want mercy. I know you have a lot of questions. Come back next week, all right? The point today is that God is reliable. Just because Paul looked out, he did not see a significant portion of Jews saved does not mean that God's word had failed or his promise to Israel had failed. Just because we look out in our world today and we don't see many Jews who believe, we will in the end times, by the way, but right now we don't see many Jews who believe, doesn't mean that God's word has failed. God is still working his plan. He's still saving Jews as his elect remnant. And as God is being faithful, To those he has saved among the Jews, we can argue that he'll be faithful to us who believe among the Gentiles. Which means all his promises to us who believe are true. There really is no condemnation. Justification is real. Adoption is real. We will be with him forever in glory. How do we know? Because God's word will not fail. What he started in you, he'll finish it. You can believe it, bet your life on it. Give him everything. Even when things don't look so good. We want to convey to our children, look, God is faithful and reliable. Even when mommy and daddy are going through hard things, we trust in Jesus, and you can too. There is this guy named Tim Chalice. Uh, He's kind of like a contemporary of mine, a peer of mine. I don't know him, but we're around the same age. And I've been reading him over the years. And he has some kids around the same age as me. 
And so I've read some of his books, some of his writings about raising our kids in Jesus, about taking all the truth of God's word and, and imparting it to our children, right? To, to giving it to our kids. And so he's been doing this. I've been doing this. And yet recently, maybe two years ago, he had a calamity that I've not experienced. His oldest son, Nick, who is around the same age as my oldest son, was going to Boyce College, Southern Seminary in Louisville, and he was going back to school, and he was there with his sister who's also going to, to school, and he was around, I guess, 20 years old, out playing one afternoon, playing with his fiance and his sister, playing some game on the grass there, and he just fell over and died, 20 years old. Think about it. Tim Chalice, he's been, he's been giving his son truth his whole life. His son was a solid follower of Jesus, and at 20, he's gone. And now all the truth that dad's been given to his children, he has to turn it back and give it to himself once again. And there are times where we have to do that, I would say, all the time. We want to encourage others. We want to give them Jesus. We want to build them up. We want to pray for them. My brothers and sisters, we need that too. And when things are really hard, we say, God, help me to trust you. I believe, help my unbelief. You're reliable. You've come through before. You'll come through again. And that's what we need to encourage one another in today, that God is reliable and he will prove faithful in your life over and over again. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Guided by God's Meanwhile, word. have a blessed day as you walk along the way 